Let's thank God. Dear Lord, thank you very much for your word. We're grateful. We'd ask that our minds would be more and more established in you. And in your son's name we pray. Amen. Last few weeks I've been sort of on a, not on a tear, but on a, or a series. It was just sort of four Sundays of sermons that played off of each other to one degree or another. We, four Sundays ago, we were at Romans 12, and talking about how we kind of like knowing the verse about proving what is the will of God. We really are not that interested in proving what is the will of God, because then we would have to do the will of God. We'd rather not know. We'd like just to know the verse. Next Sunday, we're in Ephesians 1, and we're talking about Paul's recommendation, a syllabus of what we should be trying to know of him, transforming our mind, the, the, the three what's. And then uh, the following Sunday after that, we are talking in Romans 8 about hope as an example. Uh, one of the things was the hope that we have in Christ. And looking at hope, we say this is how one of the elements of study that we if we want to not just be people who claim that a good Christian mind does well in life, but we want to get the good Christian mind, what is it we look for, and how is it we look for it? And we talked last week about the conceit that gets in the way of certain uh, developments in your thinking. Now, so my mind, I had heard somebody I don't know what, who it was, maybe some guys from the guy's Bible study talking about Proverbs. And so I said, I haven't been in Proverbs in a while. Matter of fact, two passages, it's been almost 10 years that we've been look, looked at these things. But, you know, the Proverbs are full of that sort of buildup, the kind of thing that will help your mind go where your mind ought to be. And when your mind isn't like when your mind isn't like uh, the wisdom of Solomon, it better get like the wisdom of Solomon. Well, the two sections we're looking at, the first nine chapters of Proverbs are one long discourse on the nature of wisdom's call to you. And then in chapter 10, it starts in the proverbial one after another proverb. So I'm looking at the first chapter and the ninth chapter. Um, to help us understand what, this is English, I'm trying to use English, complete sentences. One of the neat, neat things about Solomon, not only did he marry a lot of women, but he didn't mind thinking of wisdom as a woman. The name Sophia means wisdom. Um, and in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, he speaks of Sophia as a woman, a personified quality, but a feminine uh, quality. At the same time, in the first nine chapters, juxtaposed against the adventurous, another woman who is sort of the representative of folly. The representative of folly is a far more physical, real woman. She's a woman who destroys your marriage. She's the woman who gets you into all sorts of trouble. And wisdom is something else. So wisdom is something higher and, and 
again, more knowledge um, and the structure of your knowledge based. Now, what I want us to know if, is if we're going to be the kind of Christians, and individually I'm only encouraging you to be the kind of Christians uh, that you remove bad ideas that the Holy Spirit's work in you will not hit roadblocks all the time. You know very well what is right to do in some cases. Your own conscience is very alive to what you should do, but you don't want to do it. Now, the reason you don't want to do it is in part because your ideas of what's right and true in the universe that serve you better than they serve God are incorrect. And so we know that we have to correct these to have the righteous life that we want, the life that pleases God. Now, let's look at Proverbs 1. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. On the top of the walls, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And she says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Give heed to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make my words known to you. It's a great promise. It's a very loud promise. It's a very present. So many things uh, that, that sometimes people complain about not having access to. There's no excuse for not having access to things like the Word of God. Whether it's in, this is at a time when things weren't written down that much and people didn't read things. Wisdom was found in uh, visiting someone, talking to them about the ideas of God, not having a Bible memory course in the book of Proverbs. You were very lucky to have a book of Proverbs at the time. Wisdom is there. Wisdom is insistent. Wisdom is loud. Um, and wonders how long people are going to take before they stop being simple or their scoffing or their hatred of knowledge. Now, if there, was a, if there was a theme to this sermon, it might be, what, what are we, do you realize how many really, 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 really dumb people? They're not dumb intellectually, they're smart. They got good grades in college and high school and whatever else. But they just wreck their lives. And you say, why did you do that? Why, what made you think that saying that to that person was what the doctor ordered, what the knowledge of God would have expected of you. And there are calamities that occur in marriages, in child-rearing, in relationships with enemies. We were talking last week about, it was last week, about we have to have a knowledge that gets us to love our enemies. And all we're doing is wandering around applying our dumbness to things and creating calamity. Some of us have ministered to people in various forms of calamity. Colleen has an international ministry where people are dislocated on the, from the other side of the globe to Nashville because some people were stupid. That is all. It's not because of Islam. I mean, that's the stupid part. But I mean, 
It's the stupid, not the Islam. It is, the, 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 you know, when, when James says, whence comes wars and fightings among you, is it not your passions that wage war in your members? Is it not how you think about things, what you care about, what drives you inertially? People have their livelihoods taken away. They're uprooted. What happens to regular white Anglo-Saxon Mos Moscowans find themselves in a bad situation? And they, most people are just measuring them as bad situations. Now, most of the spiritual help, I'm going to say some things this morning, perhaps. You say, well, we expect no less than you, from you, Evan. I, I think it's nice to help people out. But I want to understand, if I do, that I'm helping unwilling recipients that will not help them in actuality. It'll make me feel better. I will do a good thing for them. That's nice that I did a good thing. But everybody else out there trying to help or think they're actually going to fix it. They're doing something to fix the calamity the people they are trying to help made in their lives. We want to, in psychology or pastoring, fix the broken, hold them up. I've mentioned this painting before, and I hope none of you have it as a poster on your wall. If you do, talk to me afterwards. It's a, a, a realistic painting of Jesus holding a grown man who is just, you know, obviously at the end of all of his cares and is just broken. He's just being picked up by Jesus Christ. I think he's wearing a T-shirt and jeans because he's, you know... And that's how we picture ministry, bunch of busted people living in the calamity of their own creation and a bunch of professionals who are stepping in to make it better. And, it, and what I'm going to say is not very well accepted because the general direction of all of that is to squeeze their hand and say, you understand, you know, it's not about the nail. Now we know that it's actually about the nail. Anybody who says it's not about the, you, have you haven't seen the video? If you've seen the video? Anybody spend any time on the internet? Anything at all, okay. Look up the phrase, it's not about the nail, watch the video and be edified. It is one of the most brilliant pieces of internet, you know, genius, husband and wife talking she's got a nail driven into the middle of her forehead and he's trying to talk to her and she wants to complain about the nail without saying it's the nail and he wants to bring up that it's the nail and he's always trying to fix things. Well, most people just want to have you squeeze their hand and if you just want your hand squoze, if that's a word, you can't be helped. Until, look at the concerns on the page here with wisdom. So wisdom is going, okay, how long? First off, let's answer some questions here. For those of you who may have walked through a period of stupidity where you wrecked things, wrecked your life, wrecked other people's lives, 
We all know that the wonderful grace of Christ is going to, can, can help you out, but how do you get through that? Is it a matter of, I don't have to stop being stupid, but I have to visit a professional who will understand and tell me it's not about the nail? You can't be helped then. And for those of you who it hasn't happened to, do you have a sneaking suspicion it's just a matter of it hasn't happened yet? How long before this lands on me? Verse 24, because I called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, and you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. Okay, remember, wisdom is out there going, you know, what wisdom is, is the right arrangement of understanding, the right detangling of the, the things that are wrong in a fallen world, given you a path to take which will bring peace to your life, bring righteousness to your life. <clears throat> and then he says, he says, because I called and you didn't listen, because it was there and you didn't go after it, my counsel, my reproof, my reached out hand, my calling. Look at this attitude. I also will laugh at your calamity. That's in red for you to remember it. Put it on the fridge when you get home. Cut it out. I will mock when panic strikes you. Because believe me, and you've been in a situation where you did, you were, you were deciding to follow your own passions instead of the wisdom of God, and someone drops a piano on you. That's pretty much what happens. You're the wily e. coyote of the situation. And Wiley Coyote, no matter what kind of Acme thing he orders, blows up in his face. That's life. And the Christian is the roadrunner, the one who is following God, always able to, no matter what, they stop to the perfect spot, runs as fast as they need to run. I don't mean to make a metaphor out of this, but we all love Warner Brothers. And what, what, what happens when... The anvil, we, we know the anvil, the Acme anvil, doesn't just land on the coyote, but then hits some telephone lines and then slams him and the anvil up against the cliffside, and then he drops, hits the ground floor, then the anvil drops and hits him again. Oh, you just, you're dying, your sides are hurting, you're just, uh, and, if, and if it's not good enough, then you go looking online for these awful videos were people who think they should be skateboarding or jumping a little creek on a ramp on their bike. Not because you want to say, oh yeah, mankind is great. Look at what he could do. No, you want to see him crash. You want to see him go down in flames. You want it hurt so bad. They always clip away right after you know, they impact against the window or something like that because there may have been you know, permanent damage. You don't want to really think about their physical, but you're laughing because why? This is what wisdom does to folly and the effects of folly. Making a choice that blows up in your face. Now there are some people who like to just laugh at anybody, you know, 
Billy Graham walking across the street carefully and not doing anything foolish, and he falls on his face, and everybody, oh, oh, oh. Some people just like to laugh at people's, you know, pain, when that's not why you do it. You like it when it is Wiley Coyote, who thinks he can do something and make it work and have the plans, your plans, that blueprint that you have of your life, that narrative you worked out, When it goes south on you, wisdom personified, this woman, and I assume she's good looking, but this woman who has been trying to get your attention is going to start giggling. When panic strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, and you say, well, yeah, I can understand the laughter. Sometimes it's hard not to laugh in those situations, but once it's all, all done, then we can work it out. No, then they will call upon me, and I will not answer. Not only am I laughing, I'm not talking. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Well, that just seems mean at this point, right? I thought, I mean, she might be a good-looking Sophia, but... She's laughing when you did a face plant. And you say, a little help? And she goes, no, not here. Enjoy trying to pick yourself up. Now, obviously, this is a personification. You could choose to believe it a little later. In the place of the book, it talks about... More, almost more personified, that God had created wisdom before he created anything else, and, and through him, and very personified. So I, I don't know what you think about it, but whatever the case, you say to yourself, well, it's not like I am being asked to act this way, that I wouldn't help somebody in need. What I want you to know, that when people seek help in the midst of calamity... Certain things have to be resolved before help can happen. Because wouldn't everybody who did things wrong, they get to follow their own urges, buy their own anvils, wonder why their face is crushed in, and then they're going to have you do reconstructive surgery on their life so they don't pay any penalty for their stupid. Now, how do we keep that from happening? If you remove the penalty, the cost, do they learn anything? Oh, sure, they're going to call when they have the need. And we try to work with them in such a way that, well, you know, give a man a fish and feed him for one day and teach a man to fish. You know, you want to get out there and into their lives and show them how Jesus can make what, they're really, what they think they're after better by being after it through Christ. We actually start to speak their language and say, you're following your passions. Let me, know, let, let me tell you how Jesus can be your passion and make your passion. You just want to slap them. You want to slap the person who's doing the bad thing. You want to slap the Christian who's talking that way. Like we're selling the same product, a good time. There's some commercial for some resort where some song is being sung about having a good time. Is it a popular song? 
Oh, okay. See, I don't know these things. This woman is having a good time, having a great time, because that's all that matters is having a good time. And the Christians say, no, no, really honest, John's Alley is not the place to be. Church. We get the, get the rhythm team up here, laying it down pretty heavy. No offense, Caleb. Or to my daughter, who's a music director in Portland at a church. They can lay it down. It's never going to be as good. Come on. You got to really be a sinner to be good, really good. Because they are, they, their lives are devoted to making up decisions based on their pursuit of pleasure. What do you do to stop, you know, people don't want to listen to wisdom. They're listening to wisdom or looking for wisdom when it's a problem. It's natural. Of course, they're going to cry out for help. Have you ever thought of saying no to them? Because you've got some other things to cover. Look at what it says next. Because they will seek me diligently but not find me. Because they hated knowledge. Oh. I know your, your shin bone is sticking out of your leg. But did you ever stop to think that it might be knowledge that you're really needing to resolve your attitudes about? No, I just want to have it stop hurting. Now, it's, take them to the hospital if it's really a broken leg. But if it's a, an emotional broken leg, their girlfriend dumped them, and she was a non-believer. Well, I didn't think that was also... Oh, shut up. Because you hated knowledge. You didn't want to know. You, all of your Christian friends wanted to tell you you shouldn't be dating a non-believer. But nobody dared because your hatred for knowledge would become too evident. Probably they would be disciplined. You would police them from saying such a thing to you. Because you hate knowledge. So of course when you turn around and find whatever crisis you're in, either she dumped you or you married her. Wisdom won't answer you. You've got to change your mind about knowledge. You've got to say, I thought it was okay being stupid. And I thought I could just still be stupid and have the problems. And that the smart people, the professionals, would come in and fix my problems and give me some kind of devotional thing to do and think about and feel about while things improve in my life. No. You have to remedy your hatred of knowledge. And did not choose the fear of the Lord. Okay. What I like about the Bible is it makes sense. Just, I don't know. That's just me. Because they will call on wisdom and not get it. She'll be sitting there laughing because you're just a good Warner Brothers cartoon. And you won't get the wisdom because you will not repent of what you need to repent. You think being busted up is repentance enough. You think the suffering you're going through because she dumped you is repentance enough. It's not. 
You've got to go to God on your knees and say, I hated knowledge, Lord. And I have a certain insolence before you. There are people inside Christian circles, whether they're Christians or not, I don't know. Oh, you've probably met these people. One thing goes wrong, Aunt Betty dies of cancer, even though they prayed. And I said, I don't know if there's even a God. You don't even know that there's even a God. Your Aunt Betty dies, like every other human being in history. And now you're thinking there is no God? The insolence of the thought, because that's what the failure of the fear of the Lord is. They did not choose to fear the Lord. They hated knowledge. They did not choose. When you don't choose to fear God, that means you treat things far higher than you with insolence, as if you were somebody. Now, you say, Evan, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. Okay, I know there's probably, you've all had situations, I've had situations in my life, some of the worst situations in my life spiritually were because of this kind of stupid. We all know that. But I'm also thinking of your ministry to the stupid. The people that you're kind of laughing into your hand, one of the greatest saints, Richard Lester's Three Musketeers, right at the end of the first, uh, uh, Raquel Welch is walking away from the scene. Richard Chamberlain and the other musketeers are there. She gets nailed by some swinging uh, boom of something, and Richard Chamberlain's laughing into his hand because Raquel Welch takes a, you know... We all, we all know this. We've been there. But we're all, I want you to not be someone who's trying to squeeze the hand, never mention the nail, not know how to pick somebody up who's ruined their life. They're not going to want to talk to you, believe me, once you tell them what they have to go through to unruin their life. You're not going to fix things for them so they never learn a lesson. You're going to say, well, okay, First, we're going to approach your view of knowledge. And then we're going to talk about how devout are you before the presence of God? Are you in the fear of the Lord? Would have none, verse 30, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. They did not... I had it here on the side notes here with these remedies. Remedy the hatred of knowledge. Remedy the insolence before God. Remedy the path taken. You got to stop doing what you're doing. Go someplace else. That means, well, you know, I, I, I've talked to people occasionally. And they come to me with a problem. You know, I know I haven't been in church lately. I haven't been in church much. They admit the path that they've taken. Now, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a big church guy. I think it represents more of what you're about. I don't want your attendance here to represent what I'm about. But somebody who said, well, you know, I, I really haven't been reading my Bible. You know, it's as if the admission, you know, I'm really stupid. No, that doesn't make you not stupid to say you're really stupid. 
To admit you haven't read your Bible, that you haven't fellowshiped with the saints, does not make you do so. You have got to remedy taking none of wisdom's counsel. When they say to do something, did you do it? When the guy talked to you about your needs in your life and said, why don't you read the book of Galatians? Did you go home and read the book of Galatians? Are you eager for the resolve of what, I need to stop being stupid, and I need to stop having calamity in my life. How do I go about it? Change your view of knowledge, change your view of the Lord, change your view about the advice you received. Remedy your failure to take that path. Therefore, because of that, their view of knowledge, the view of God, and the view of the path, they shall eat the fruit of their way and be sated with their own devices. Sated. I mean, it's, as, it's a good, car, I, I like using the word karma because that picks it up. Your life is karma for what you did. But it's not because that's just the way the world is, man. It's because God has made it thus. We're not some hippies from Bangladesh. We are, we are Christians. And this is the way God made the world. He wants you to know him, fear him. And it says that for the simple, verse 32, are killed by their turning away, and the complacence of fools destroys them. I love that word, complacence. They didn't. Have you noticed that the people that are in your life that have the most trouble are not as urgent about their trouble as you are? And they're counting on that. Because, boy, man, I really am, I'm really in a, a bind here. We, had a, we were trying to help a, an abused woman uh, last week find a situation. And, boy, she wanted us to move heaven and earth. Because it's after living with this situation for 35 years. She wanted it dealt with, but uh, wasn't going to be her that dealt with it. It's going to be us. Well, so, uh, you realize that you're not. You, you can do something nice for somebody. I, again, I'm not recommending a. You, God made you nice. God made you loving. Do nice and loving things to people, but don't think of it as a ministry that you're fixing the world by helping some abused woman who doesn't want to, to deal with it that you are going to be the urgency. You're not going to be complacent. Because, oh my gosh, she's getting abused. Well, she's staying there. The first time we tried to help her, got everything worked up, big meeting was going to happen, get her housing, get her this, that, and the other thing. And lo and behold, she went back to her husband. Oh, I know that happens. But foolishness has a certain complacence about it they got to remedy that too. So the urgency isn't all everybody else running around trying to pick up the pieces of their broken life because wisdom's off on the side laughing, not trying to pick up the pieces. As soon as the person says, yes, I need to pick up the pieces. I need to remedy what I think of God. I need to remedy what I think of knowledge itself. I need to remedy the path I took. They say, yeah, we can work with you. We've got a lot we could do. 
It's amazing how much when a person is willing to put in on whatever problem it is, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or, or some various ministries or other things that are crises or people, when the person's really ready, things can happen. These are the things that make it ready. It says, the complacence of fools destroys them, but he who listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of evil. That's, a, that's almost a, as good a description of a life you can have. Secure, at ease, no dread of evil. But stupid gets you the exact opposite. Now, the Proverbs 9 section, which finishes off this whole, so I gave you the portion of the first chapter, portion of the last chapter in this, this set of claims about wisdom. Um, I want to correct a notion. I mentioned it at the beginning. The Christian idea is not the real path to the pleasures of this life. The pleasures of this life are given by God, and yes, you will enjoy them as a Christian. Great. We try to say, you know, what we really want is a birthday party every day. Me being celebrated every day. And if I can, can't, and, and, I know I'm tempted to drink too much to get at that or take methamphetamines to get that. Oh, whatever it is, you know, I know Jesus, he'd want me to do it in a better way so I could have this good time every day. We're not just saying God wants you to have a good time, he just wants it moral. Because then we try to sell and function and restrain the immoral pleasure seeker from going as far as immoral. Far better to change how they view the world because their world, midway through chapter 8 of Proverbs, which I don't have here, um, the conflict between Sophia and the adventurous and your urges is not one of, you know, Sophia is kind of a buzzkill, and this is causing too much pleasure and wrecking my life. So I'm going to have to go over here to the buzzkill side and just accept the restraint, the restraint to my pleasures until they're moral. Sophia is not that. This is the difference not between your pleasures, good and bad. This is between rule and ruin. By me, kings rule, I think it says in Proverbs 8. Where is Proverbs? By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles govern the earth. What wisdom is, is decisional rule. You decide what is the wise idea, and you do it. Instead of going, I really want to do this, and doing what you were passionate about. I was told last night, I think it, Greg was telling me about the, the Kaepernick ad is all about finding your bliss, finding your passions, going after it. Because of course, that's what the whole nation wants to do. And if I just had these sneakers, we're not here to pursue our passions. You're here to pursue the arrangement of the living God in your life. 
your passions will be rewarded. It's kind of like, you know, if you were sensible about a job, you would apply yourself and realize, you know, the paycheck is kind of gravy at this point. I got paid for this? The passions are your pay. The passions aren't your cause. If they're my cause, I'm about ruin. That's, I'm, I'm just going to destroy myself. It says in Proverbs 9, Wisdom has built her house. She has set up her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who is without sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave simpleness and live and walk in the way of insight. You can offer, our ministry is to everyone to one degree or another needs to know things about God. Your ministry needs to be to disabuse them of the whole procedure that they think they're about, that they get to have the life they want. They get to be happy. No. God has ease, peace, standing before us. And he can only design it if he rules. And you can only get his peace if his government, the kingdom of heaven, rules your life. And that's what we're offering to the simple. Back when we had God's garage, back in the 70s, early 70s, and druggies would come in and drunk high school kids, and they'd be throwing up, and they'd be lying in their own vomit. It's amazing. I, I, I tell people in the Navy that I never was tempted to get drunk. I've been there. I've seen very cool, very happening hippies lying in their vomit. You just go... And they're claiming, inebriated, I'll never do this again till next week. That's what we're asking them to turn away from, but until they're ready to turn away from it, in order to pick up the knowledge, the fear of the Lord, get rid of the complacence, get rid of the path they are taking, you don't get to choose the same life. If I try to correct this, what do I get? Verse 7, he who corrects a scoffer gets himself abused. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. They're going to punch you in the face. Do you realize it's not merely that you say, I don't, I don't think it's good to laugh at people who are having problems. Okay, don't be, have a sense of humor. But it also says, if you try to help, a man who involves himself in a quarrel that is not his is like someone who grabs a passing dog by the ears sort of against it, you will get punched in the face. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Remember, they don't want to hear from you when they're in the midst of this, because that's shaming. <laughs> no, it's humor. Give instruction. Reprove a wise man, he will love you. Oh, it works differently. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. 
You've got to see the beginning of this somewhere, though. You can't just keep throwing pearls before swine and expect them not to trample it and you into the mud. So you better figure out, how do I do something to the swine that makes them stop being swine? Or at least pull out some that hear the preaching of the gospel, or the, you know, something that is causing them to go, oh, maybe I don't know, maybe I need to know, maybe the righteousness of God should be something I am humbled before. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. You know, you've heard me say that proverb countless times, my favorite proverb. Everything about this is long life, ease, freedom from dread, and for you. I don't want to get all worked up into your problems. I'm not going to try to dig you out of your problems where I'm running all over town trying to fix what you did wrong. I'm going to try to get you to repent of the things that you need to repent of. That you, until you do, wisdom of God, the pursuit of God is not going to be happening and you're going to keep walking into it. A foolish woman is noisy. She is wanton and knows no shame. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let them turn in here. Same message is wisdom. And to him who was out sent, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. We don't realize what doing it your way, or your non-Christian friend's way, or your Christian friend who just can't seem to get their wits screwed on straight. We need to be nice to them. You love them, have them over for dinner, Maybe give them a gift. But if you want to fix their lives, the fixing of their lives is deeper than fixing the problem, the discipline the Lord gave them. It's directly... And now, quick, quick response to somebody who's like Job. Just because someone is going through a tragedy doesn't mean they were stupid. Okay? There are other sources of damage in your life um, that wasn't stupid. Somebody else could have been stupid and ran their car into yours. So be aware of that. But if you see the calamity that comes from a life of folly and sin, it really is theirs. It really is the depths of shale. If I don't define it like that, they're going to try to motivate me to take up all the labor, pick up all the pieces. They say things like, pray for me. You, you find this out. Could you, could you get me something on this? Or could you find a... They're not even willing to go look for a book. They want you to find the book and give it to them. You buy the book if necessary. And believe me, secondary problem, never return the book. Which is evil. 
or they want you to live out the entire Christian life, the, the path that you're recommending, you've got to prove to them that it can be lived out all the way to the end. Well, your kids aren't over, your kids aren't teenagers yet. How are you going to be able to tell me where to get, you know, they, they want you to run the whole path and then write your memoirs when it's too late for them and you've already accomplished it all. They also don't want you to look down on them. Don't say, man, you're not, well, who are you to say? Well, I'm a servant of God. So I'm going to say, you're an idiot. And then they start to mock God with phrases like, it's 2018. You don't really believe in a God, do you? 2018. It's a smart time. Somebody asked me the other night, I think it was Bradley, asked me if I thought the, uh, this was the golden age of intellectualism. <laughs> it just was. Is another funny moment. It is not, by the way. Once we realize what we're about, and this, thinking about it this way was helpful to me. In a lot of areas of my life, in a lot of areas, I imagine in yours, that if you realize if it isn't rule and right rule, just because there's rule doesn't mean it's right rule. You've got to figure out the true measure of this world. you got to find it in God. you got to find it in his wisdom. And if it's not, it's going to be ruined. Get on board with whatever horse you're riding. I mean, it's, that's, that's, what, uh, that's what we're facing. Once we realize that, we begin to realize how we could minister to others who have the needs. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. You're patient with us, and we're very grateful. Help us be patient with others. Help us be wise in our encouragements and ready to let people go into the lives and the destruction they ask for. But Lord, help us to snatch those from the fire that give any sign of acknowledging you. In your son's name, amen.